Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. You're going to try to tell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Were your parents moms too? Savvy entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations, that really turned out well. I'm really good job. I'm really, really. You know, I wish I had thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM, based here in the greater Chicago-Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, or you're thinking about becoming one, this show is for you, so listen up. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. The show has two goals, to share helpful information and resources. I have been an entrepreneur myself, and candidly, I've crashed and burned. <laughs> seen friends with companies crash and burn. I've seen so many mistakes and I've made so many mistakes. So if I can help just one of you out there avoid a few of those mistakes, then I've been successful. The second goal is to inspire. I found at least being an entrepreneur is confusing. It's often lonely. Sometimes you have no idea if you're on the right track or where to turn for good advice. So to help with that, every week on the show, I have guests who are willing to share their stories and advice. And this week's guest is Brandon Bach. He is the president of Consumer Convenience Technologies. But more importantly, the company that he is the president of has created an innovative new product called the Easy Lid that he's going to tell us about today. So with that introduction, Brandon, thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Uh, thank you for having me, Doris. It's great to be here. The natural place to start, I think, is to tell us a little bit about your business. What is Consumer Convenience Technologies and what's the Easy Lid? Consumer Convenience Technologies is the maker of the Easy Lid. And the Easy Lid is the first jar lid innovation in over 75 years. It is a software design technology that reduces the amount of vacuum setting, making it 50% easier to open a vacuum sealed jar. Uh, now, what do I mean by that? Basically, we have designed and incorporated a button that will be placed in the center of the lid that the consumer will then press that button, which releases the vacuum, which in turn makes it the jar lid 50% easier to open. And on top of that, the easy lid is also made out of aluminum where the majority of your, your lids on the market today are made out of steel or tin plate. So the easy lid being made out of aluminum, which is 100% recyclable, so it's a, a sustainable product. And then with it also being an inclusive product because there's no limitations on who can open it. You know, it doesn't matter about age or gender or any physical capabilities. So it definitely helps take some of that frustration out of, uh, of struggling to open those uh, hard to open jars. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I myself struggle. I'm always handing it off to my daughter or whoever's around to say, hey, can you help me with this? And I have one of these little nubby textured rubber things that kind of helps. And sometimes I, I use a bottle cap opener to pry underneath. And, you know, sometimes those work. But, you know, let, let's just talk about 
Why are the lids so hard to open? You know, you mentioned a vacuum. Why is there a vacuum anyway? For your hot fill products uh, or, or, or things that uh, need to be refrigerated or whatnot, you know, how they are filled initially is via a hot filling process. Now, there's a couple different methods uh, of actually filling it, whether it's a water drip or, or whatever method that the filler uses. But the way that they preserve that product is to then pull a vacuum that keeps it fresh until the, the consumer then takes it home and opens it and then uses the product. With that being said, when that vacuum is applied, so now you are trying to remove that jar lid, not only by, by twisting it off, but you're also fighting that pressure that has been formed on the inside of the jar. So you've actually got a couple of different things that you're, you're trying to overcome in order to open that jar. So if you can simply eliminate or remove one of those obstacles, uh, you can see that it makes it uh, definitely a lot easier to open. For sure. Let's talk about your background. You're the president of the company, but I think you, before the show, we were discussing that there were two co-founders of Consumer Convenience Technologies, one of whom was your father. So I guess the apple must not fall too far from the tree in terms of entrepreneurial spirit. But, you know, talk a little bit about that. Did you work in the company growing up? How did, how did that work? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, there are two co-founders, James Bach, my father, uh, and then Pete Stodd. Uh, actually, Pete Stodd is unfortunately no longer with us, but Pete was an entrepreneur at heart. He had uh, several businesses, companies that he had started, and one of those was in the beer and beverage industry. And so through that, he was at a work function and he had a colleague, uh, uh, the colleague's wife uh, came up to Pete and said, hey, you're a smart guy. I am actually right now going and dealing with cancer treatments and some of the procedures and things that she had done left her extremely weak and unable to open a jar lid. So she posed that question to Pete. And so then that's what spurred the, the initial idea and concept where Pete and Jim then joined forces and spent previous eight years in research and development. Now, my background, uh, I actually uh, graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in communication and a minor in business from Otterbein University. And when I graduated, I ventured out into the uh, live show or staging world, uh, live events, whether that's doing live shows for associations, sporting events, concerts, uh, you know, all the way up to doing shows for Fortune 500 companies. I spent roughly 20 years doing that, traveling the world, doing jobs like project. Yeah, project. That sounds so exciting. I mean, and glamorous. I mean, was it? Yes and no. Um, I, I grew up in a small town, so you know you saw all these uh, beautiful pictures of, of places to travel and to see, and I wanted to 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 get out and see some of those. Uh, so this job definitely helped me uh, see and travel the world. Now, what I will say, it, it's nice to see a lot of these places, but at the same time, I saw them from the loading docks and the ballrooms and <laughs> and those sorts of things, and, and worked you know twenty hour days in the ballroom or the arena or you know wherever we were working so it was fun but at the same time after 20 years of doing that and traveling week after week and just the high stress of 
doing the live event and making sure you know nothing happens, nothing goes wrong, and and, and you know you know you put your best foot forward for the the client. Yeah. Um, that definitely wears on you, and and I needed a break. I can imagine. I don't want you to name names, but I can imagine that certain clients were probably quite high maintenance. You know, especially. Uh, I don't know, I'm thinking some of these rock stars or some of the performers, but it could have been some of the corporate people too. I don't know, but um, I am sure some of those people were, yeah, high maintenance is probably a (laughs) diplomatic way to put it. I agree with you in that statement, yes. (laughs) So at some point you said, I'm from a small town, but I've seen the world and it was great. Now what? So... Um, yeah, so uh, so uh, in my profession, you know, uh, or in my previous profession, I should say, I worked for a company, but at the same time, I also worked with a lot of uh, people that were freelancers. You know, they were their, an entrepreneur where they, you know, their service was their their job, whether they did video, audio, or lighting, and so they worked for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about stepping into that world, but then an opportunity came about to where. I could work with uh, my father, Jim, and Pete with trying to bring the easy lid to commercialization. And when I thought about it and I had the opportunity to, to try and help people uh, and to try and help answer that age-old question of how do you open a stubborn jar, it, it felt like the perfect time to, to jump in and to experience something new and to actually get the benefits and, and the value of helping people. Um, You know, I mean, that that makes you feel good. I'm I'm sure working with your father was special, too. I mean, that's a pretty cool opportunity. So just to lay the groundwork, you mentioned that your dad spent eight years developing this. How did they find the funding for this? Was this just something they did on the side while they did their day jobs and tried to move it forward? Or how, how did that happen? A good question. Uh, in our scenario, uh, we are privately funded, so that allowed us to to really dive in uh, to the research and development side of it to make sure that we were putting forth a product that worked and that did the things that, that we're saying that they do. And some of the early on difficulties that we found uh, is when the question was posed, you know, can there be an easier opening jar lid? We tried to do it with what is already being used in the industry, and that's a steel lid. Uh, um, so, yep. So we worked with multiple different scoring technologies with with the knowledge that we know uh, with scoring, especially into aluminum because of Pete's other businesses. It really gave us an opportunity and advantage in our minds that was ahead of everyone else because we understood that scoring but we actually tried over 40 different scoring combination and tools to try and make it work on the 10 plater steel and one of one of the major things that we were trying to overcome uh was just how the uh, the steel reacts when you expose the raw material uh you know it begins to corrode so as we were going through the process it just made sense for us to move to aluminum since on the beer and beverage side with Pete, you know, he understood how aluminum worked and, and, and how to, to mold it. So it just made sense for us to switch to aluminum. But we also knew that by us switching to aluminum, that it's more now of trying to change an industry as opposed to just put an add on to a product that's already out on the market. 
Boy, I mean, you you talk about steel corroding. It's kind of one of those things where even without the easy lid technology, you kind of wonder, is that not maybe where the industry is heading in general? I don't know. It sounds kind of gross with steel corroding and you're, it's in contact with your food. Well, that, that, I mean, there, there are definitely, there are coatings on top, you know, that, that protect the, the steel and, and whatnot. It's just, we, we don't add any material to the lid. When we make the lid, we are actually using forms to then form the button and all the scoring in there. Ah. Um, so it's just when you start messing with the coatings that are protecting the steel from corroding, oh, I you just have to make sure that you're not you know, penetrating all the way down to the raw steel. But like you said, that was one of the things that made us switch to aluminum because of that very reaction that you had. We know that it needs to be a safe product and that's what we strive to, to, to put out on the market. Do you have a physical product that required quite a large investment of really of research and development? And then, you know, you have to obviously figure out how very carefully how to patent it. Was that piece a challenge at all? Um, for us, I'm going to say no, just because we had that background experience from Pete's other companies and the processes that he had to go through. But like you said, uh, we, we are patented the easy that is patented worldwide. Now, it, you know, it, it is a process. Uh, once we start looking at it, I mean, many companies have tried to come up with a solution for an easier open and easy opening lid. Uh, and if you actually look good, start looking at all the patents, there are hundreds and hundreds of patents out there for designs for an easy open closure or lid. It's kind of cluttered. So you had to have obviously find a pretty good patent lawyer to navigate around all those existing patents that are out there. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And and we actually uh, speak with a couple different uh, patent attorneys because we are also worldwide. So not only, uh, you know, making sure that we're covered in the U.S., but then also Europe and other parts of the, uh, of the, of the world. That's a process that I think um, some companies forget. So it, <clears throat> it's really fortunate for you that you had Pete's experience in the food and beverage industry to realize that's something you needed to do. There are, unfortunately, companies, and this is not for you, Brandon, this is really for maybe some of the budding entrepreneurs who are out there. If you have a physical product, you really need to think very carefully about your patent strategy because it is very difficult once it's out in the marketplace to then try to go back and claim patents and trademarks once the horse is out of the barn. You're absolutely right with that, Doris. Yeah. And I know of a couple of companies that I've worked with, you know, they spent money because patent lawyers are not cheap. They're probably among the most expensive lawyers that are out there. And good ones are even less cheap than those. <laughs> um, and the patenting process, you know, there's a lot of fees associated with it. And so it can be kind of tempting for some companies, I think, to uh, cut corners. Or in case of a couple that I worked with, they had patented in the U.S. and then were very sad to find out someone else had done a knockoff patent outside the u.s in some major markets and uh you know unfortunately just a word to those of you who are thinking about 
bringing a product to market really get some good advice when it comes to your patents and trademarks and copyrights. That's a great point, Doris. Uh, and, and even if, if someone has the idea or concept, even when you go and start speaking to companies about trying to then commercialize it or to build your prototype, you definitely want to make sure that, that you're covered uh, with all your uh, intellectual property to make sure that, that, that exactly what you just spoke to, that, that someone can't take it and re recreate it. Yeah. Were there any surprises or uh, other bumps along the way as you were developing this product? Even once you develop it, you've got to get a prototype, you've got to figure out how to manufacture it. Talk about that piece of the journey. Yes. Uh, so, and especially when we first started out uh, where we were just trying to take ex existing closures and then apply our technology to it, uh, and then once we decided to make the uh, easy lid out of aluminum, we then are now producing the entire lid in-house. So to go from, you know, just putting the technology on the lid to now actually making the lid and putting the technology on it uh, was definitely a, a lot of learning curves. Now, again, uh, with the other businesses that uh, gaining the, the knowledge and the background on, on what they had to do and whatnot, it really gave us kind of a roadmap blueprint. But then we, we quickly had to, uh, to just stay open. Uh, you know, every day we might choose to go down a road or a path that, you know, we have to research or to find out. So that meant, so in this example, you know, we just actually uh, uh, this past December completed our technology center. Uh, that's all of our equipment, our production line that where we can make the easy lid. Um, so that was a learning process to to get all the equipment in to make sure that it's working properly. Like you said, um, whether we're doing our studies, you know, trying to find people to help us do the studies and research. Uh, one of the things that that we're very proud of is every time that we to take the lid out to whether it's a live consumer test or a research being conducted by the leading processing food venture center authority uh, here in, in North America, you know, all the results we get back have been outstanding. And that's what we keep leaning on with this product is that, you know, no matter if you have a, a day where you think, oh, what am I doing? Or, or how do I continue to go? We heavily rely on the research and the, and the data that we've collected to show that this product is needed and wanted by the consumers. And so we keep pushing in, in until we can get to that end step or end process. Yeah. As we talked about, there's a long lead time and a lot of steps to really bring this product to market. You mentioned you had private funding. Can you talk about that at all? Was that something you sought? Was that family money you were able to tap into? How did you sustain yourself in the early years? Well, uh, with, with uh, Pete and Jim, they are, uh, are are the ones that are privately funding this. Oh, and that's I see. through previous uh, ventures and whatnot, yes. Wow. So in other words, it helps a whole lot if you have founders or people from the very beginning who have deep enough pockets to be able to fund this. The, you know, the question is, is they didn't have that. Did you talk about what would happen if you needed to raise more money or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, all those steps, I mean, even even still to this day, uh, that, that's still part of the conversation, uh, just depending on which way we decide to, to move. For example, uh, you know, like I said, we just completed our uh, technology center. And, you know, it, right now, you max out our technology center, we can produce 288 million lids 
annually. Wow, you that's know? a lot of lids. It, it, it is, but uh, you know, when you actually step back and look, there's some products out on the market that would go through that in a year. So we know once we get to a certain point, we're going to have to start building more production lines, you know, increasing that capability. Uh, right now, we offer the Easy Lid uh, in a 63 millimeter size. That size is what you basically see on a lot of your pasta sauces, maybe some olives, uh, some jams and jellies. Yeah. Um, so, so once we get this product uh, out in the market and start moving forward, that now we're going to move on to other sizes. You know, the seventy millimeter. I didn't even but, think about that. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. that's complicated. So, so that means that there would be needed different tooling within our conversion line and conversion presses for the different sizes to make those. So, you know, there would be funding there that would be needed, or just as one example. Well, I think what you're describing to me is really a pretty investment-intensive process that anyone who has a product they want to bring to market needs to consider that, that if they have family and friends who are able to bootstrap it for a long time, great. If not, you certainly need to think about plan B. You know, I, I'm curious, did you and your father and, and his colleague have a business plan from the very get-go, or was it just kind of two guys more or less tinkering with an idea? Um, uh, at the start, I would say it was more in the research and development, uh, just to make sure that this uh, was a safe and good option to move forward with. You know, each step that we move toward has helped decide what avenue we go with next. I mean, initially, what our plan was, was to actually sell and license this technology to other closure manufacturers. But as we've moved forward, we've, we've kind of changed our path and we've decided to now make the lid ourselves. You know, you get the most control, the most uh, bang for your buck, uh, I guess, to say well, uh, when you're trying that- to design it. Not to mention security in terms of the trade secrets and the intellectual property that you have, too. So that's always something when you have a a better mousetrap, you always have to think about. How did you bring this product to market? Because I had a client who had health crisps. You know, they were healthy potato chips Mm -hmm. or whatever. And he... He was a great client, but he was very frustrated with how hard it was to break into the retail side of things and get shelf space and things like that. So how did you break into that whole business and convince producers, I guess, that this was the product that they needed to have to seal the products they produced? Oh, a great question. Um, For us... When you look at the easy lid, and that was one of the the initial uh, areas we had to investigate and research was who actually is our customer. You know, we know that our lid ultimately will be used by the end consumer when they're home cooking or, or wherever they're preparing their meals or food. But in order to get our jar lid to the consumer, we have to now look at okay, is it the brand or the owner of that product that makes those decisions? Or is it the fillers or the manufacturers of the actual product? Oh, and and those are often different. When I think of, uh, I don't know, Vlasic pickles, Mm -hmm. I had pickles yesterday with my sandwich for lunch. In other words, 
Vlasic might make that decision or Vlasic might outsource the production of and canning of the pickles to somebody else. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. So there are some products that, that do not pack for themselves. So they would then go out to a co-packer, just exactly like you described it. And depending on the size of the brand or the product that we're speaking of, let's just say a pasta sauce, depending on the size or the volume that they produce, they might just let the filler or manufacturer or filling that product instruct them on what jar to use or what lid to use Uh um, to where they don't necessarily have the available uh, resources to research what is the best product to use. So they rely heavily on the fillers where some brands or products are big enough to either have those positions internally uh, that they can, and you know, investigate, maybe it's part of their design, the label and, you know, the glass jar and the look that they're trying to convey. So there's definitely a, a number of people that are involved. So, you know, we, we have found that we, we have to talk to the brand owner as well as the filler, especially uh, if those two are different or, or two different companies. And, and that's the $64,000 question, especially right now in, in the climate that we're in uh, with being in the pandemic and, and everything else that's happening uh, is trying to find the correct person within those companies to then speak <laughs> with about, you know, uh, 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 showing this technology to so right and you know i'm sure it was very difficult i mean that's actually one of the questions i was going to ask you is i'm sure it's so much more effective to just say here open this you know see how easy it is Mm -hmm. versus trying to show somebody on zoom i'm sure that made the whole sales process a lot more difficult Exactly. We, we have actually, and it's through experiences that, that we have learned this, when the pandemic initially started and obviously face-to-face meetings and traveling and those things, sorts of things were not happening, we would send you know, a case of jars to a potential customer and then we'd have a Zoom uh, call to then discuss and to go over our presentation. What we have found though with that, it's a great tool to still be able to interact with people. Yeah. But you don't have that face-to-face contact, and we just felt like we weren't were not able to answer the questions or comments or concerns they had about the lid because they kind of already had a preconceived notion. You know, they've already played around with the jar before we had the meeting or this uh, or that. I so they've already kind of built up the reasons why they don't want to use it, or you know, oh, it's uh, you know this example or that example why we don't feel we want to use it. So we have definitely we definitely feel that the face-to-face meeting. You know, being there while they are opening the jar or asking their questions or trying to understand how it works and those sort of, we just felt for us, it's better for that face to face. So during this time right now, a company or a business or a brand or a product, uh, if they're still not allowing face-to-face meetings or this or that, we completely understand. Uh, right now, we're just kind of holding on those meetings until we can get that face-to-face. The initial meeting over Zoom, uh, out- outstanding the meet, you know, to introduce yourself and your company and the product, but to, to dive into the, the nuts and bolts of, of your presentation, for us, we feel like a face-to-face is, is way more valuable than uh, doing it over the Zoom. How did you decide to price your product? You know, I could see companies going, well, this is neat, but it costs 50% Mm -hmm. more than my current one. Thanks, but no thanks. How did you navigate that piece of the, the journey? 
uh, a great question. When looking at it, you know, your standard lids that are that are uh, on a lot of your jars today, you know, we feel that that's a commodity product, meaning that the filler or whomever buys that lid, it goes on the jar and then, you know, it's up to the consumer to open it, use it, however. With our lid, the easy lid, we feel that it is a, a premium product. Why do we say that? Is is because of all the added benefits that our lid incorporates over the standard lid, you know, being 50% easier to open, being a more sustainable product, you know, the inclusivity side of it. I'm going to guess it's lighter too. I mean, I yep. is quite a bit lighter than steel. And if you're talking about containers and containers of these products, that's, it's probably less weight too overall. You're exactly right. Um, so now that, that semi-trailer, I mean, even though we're only talking the weight of a lid, by the time you get thousands and thousands of those, and then, you know, so now you're hopefully uh, using less fuel, which means less emissions, to now, you know, with it being recyclable, uh, you know, all the aluminum that's used right now, more than two-thirds of it has been recycled. So it's taking less energy to actually create aluminum and whatnot because of the recycle, recycling side of it. And like you said, you know, the, uh, the, the down weighting, uh, you know, the recyclability, the corrosion resistance, aluminum is used for space flight. So yeah, there's a reason for that, right? Right. You know, uh, so, so it, it's definitely a, a, a valuable product. And on the other side of that, what also comes with the easy lid is like I, like I stated earlier to us, the easy lid is a brand. So when you or a customer or a brand, a grocer or whoever uh, wants to use the easy lid, you're not only getting all the benefits that we've, we've kind of previously talked about, but you're also going to get a PR plan that comes with that because we know that educating the consumer is very important. You know, how does the lid work? How do you reset it? And those sorts of things. Now, the lid itself is three easy steps. One, you simply push the button until you hear a click. That means the vacuum's been released. Two, step two, you simply remove the jar lid uh, and enjoy the product. And if you have any product left over that you'd like to store in the refrigerator, you can simply push on the product side or the bottom side of the lid where the button is, push on that and it'll reset. So that way, when you put the lid and the jar back in the refrigerator and for if the jar tips over or or falls down, you know, your product won't leak or spill out. Wow. And we know we need to educate the consumer and to let them know that, hey, there's a product out here to help you. Yeah. So that's why uh, we we work with Uproar PR that we will put a plan together with that product in your key uh, market areas that we will then go in and have, you know, radio, TV uh, and newspaper to let the consumer know that there is an easy, uh, an easy open product out there for them. Yeah. Um, Well, I can see why you do have a challenge, as you said, to figure out just exactly who the customer is because you have multiple customers. Have you found that, that the companies that are most receptive are the ones that control their process kind of start to finish and maybe have a a closer handle on the branding or has that not really been the case? I would agree with you. The ones that control right now their own filling, it's a little bit easier and, and I'll say it for this reason. One of the things that we have recently done is we are now providing a line assessment 
Uh, so we hired two gentlemen that has over 70 years experience in the, the packaging side, uh, uh, working with filling lines and whatnot. Like I stated earlier, with our lid being made out of, out of aluminum, you know, and, and most of your other pro, uh, jar lids are made out of tin plate, we have to go in and look at the filling line and the capper system to see how it transports uh, the lid down to the jar and then actually puts the lid on the jar. Does it use magnets or, you know, what does it actually use with uh, aluminum, you know, uh, not being able to use magnets, then we need to assess to see what we can do uh, in order to make that conversion line then be able to run our lid. But yeah, before our time is up, Brandon, I want to talk a little bit about you personally in the journey and, um, you know, what, what's been for you the hardest part about starting up this whole business? Uh, well, uh, I could probably say a, a few things, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things, though, and, and again, it's probably more pertaining to the last couple years, uh, and it's just uh, the, the time. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, as we're seeing with the pandemic and meeting. And everything. It's just everybody's timeline for it doesn't matter what it's for, whether it's for a meeting, uh, whether it's to uh, to purchase equipment or to have uh, equipment or tools made uh, and not even just for us, even on, the, you know, for everyone, whether that's the fillers, you know, trying to find the glass jars or or the ingredients trying to to get those in so they can, you know, meet their uh, delivery dates and whatnot. Uh, it's just it's been very hard watching the, the, the time. Uh, uh, grow longer. Uh, for example, you know, before the pandemic, if, if I needed to have a, a tool made for our press, it might be six to eight weeks, you know, in order for that uh, to be uh, completed. Right now, we're seeing, uh, you know, anywhere from four to six months um, for something to be uh, uh, created and made for us. Um, so it's just trying to navigate through all the timelines uh, of everyone in order to, to meet uh, uh, our own deadlines. Um, so that means that we're, we're having to, to maybe take on more vendors in order to make sure that we're getting enough uh, cardboard boxes or, you know, to, you know, to put the, the completed lids in for us to ship out or, uh, you know, so it's just definitely one of those things right now that you're having to be a little bit creative and uh, uh, your thought process and with your, your, your scheduling, because, you know, like I said, the, the things that you thought you could have done in, you know, let's say four to eight weeks is now maybe four to six months. Um, so that's definitely one of the, the, the things that's kind of challenging right now. Uh, but the other I would say would be the vocabulary, <laughs> you know, uh, Every what do you mean? Uh, well, uh, what I've always noticed is, is growing up uh, as a child, um, you know, what I was learning and hearing in school, I would I would come home and I would uh, listen to my mom. Uh, she was in the medical field, so I would hear all her medical jargon or words and I'd listen to my dad. Uh, he was in construction. Um, so I would always hear kind of his construction terms or, you know, the vocabulary that you use for that. Uh, uh, individual uh, uh, business. So to come in and to learn, okay, you know, when our uh, uh, engineer says, hey, we need to check, you know, this out or this out, you know, just trying to understand and make sure that you know 
uh, exactly what that person is talking about. Or when you go and try to speak to someone, uh, whether that's ordering a part or, uh, you know, like I said, we, we just completed our technology uh, center. So our filling lines, just making sure that you're asking the right questions and uh, and that, that you'll get the right response or the right product. So that was kind of challenging, just making sure that, that, that you know, you, you do some homework, no matter what your, your industry is, is just kind of understand the lingo or the, or the jargon that's used. So uh, whether you're speaking with someone uh, for help or, or to learn that, you know, that, that, that you're not getting hung up because you didn't understand what they meant by that yeah, word. Or, or I could just imagine selling, trying to sell to a customer who asks you questions and you don't, you know, you don't understand enough of how to respond to it. I'm sure right. that, that that's probably pretty close to the end of that discussion. <laughs> right, right. They're like, they don't know what they're talking about. What? Right. Goodbye. Thank you. Yes. Um, you know, so what's been the best thing uh, about starting and growing this business uh, I mean I, honestly for me uh, it, it's it's answering that age-old question of how to open a stubborn jar um, because when you look at it, it's so ingrained in our culture that we use it as a joke uh, whether that's in uh, TV shows or movies or comic strips or uh, you know uh, there's been several shows that well before the pandemic you know like the Big Bang Theory or some of those you know where they're you know they're trying to bang the jar on the table and they break it and you know now they have to go to the emergency room um, so it's sitting back and, and looking at it and going we actually answered this question that has been around since the jar lid was invented, you know, how, how do certain people open this jar lid and, and many people have tried and we can actually sit back and say, we've come up with a viable solution. Yeah, uh, well, you, you know, I'm sure that you don't, unfortunately, because of the whole supply chain and how it gets incorporated into production, I'm sure you don't get as many direct stories from consumers that you'd like of, of people you've helped but do, do you get a few now and then anecdotal stories from from the end consumers um right now uh, as we're pushing it out uh, i will say that yeah uh, the opportunity has definitely been limited just because uh uh, like I said, we just commercialized it uh, this past December, but we are uh, out uh, speaking with several uh, uh, products, brands, uh, grocery stores, uh, a lot of NDA signed. But the one thing that we always hear or that we like to hear is when we're, we're allowing or letting someone uh, test the jar, open it, is even if, you know, maybe they're a 25-year-old 25 25 person where they don't see the need, but all of a sudden that light bulb goes off and it's like, oh. I know someone that can benefit from this. You know, I, you know, my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncle, my grandma, my grandpa. So that kind of sparks that light bulb in their head. And, and that's a, that gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling inside because it's like, finally, you know, you're helping someone take away some of that, you know, some of that stress throughout their day to that they can focus on things that really matter and what's important. Yeah. What? You know, your your background is interesting, and it's interesting, too, that you say your dad was in construction. So the two of you both had to pivot probably quite a bit to, to make this business go and, and develop and be successful. Were there aspects of your past life that 
surprised you that that surprisingly helped you do certain things in this business and you know the flip side i guess is are there things that you just um were surprisingly unprepared for um yeah uh, yes I, I would definitely say that that my previous job or career uh helped me out uh in, in several ways and, and one that i can think of uh, off the top of my head is that uh, with with our current uh, uh, business, the Easy Lid, you know, when we face a uh, a difficult challenge or you know someone saying no or you know whatever the case may be, is to to not let that um, kind of drag you down in the weeds. Uh, and what I mean by that, uh, as an example, uh, so on the, on the live event side. You know, I, I might be directing the, the video portion for the show. So there could be one to 10 cameras that I'm directing, as well as, you know, one to 20 different graphics computers and you know up to 10 video playback machines, you know, four video playbacks from the lighting guys. So what I always told uh, a lot of the, the younger guys in video is that if you're in a live show, you could have 300 cues in the first five minutes of the show. And if you dwell on missing or messing up one of those cues in that time span, then you have the potential to, to miss or mess up many more cues down the line. You don't have time at the end of the day to think back about the cue and how could you have done it better or what do you need to do, but you just have to try and stay as positive as you can moving forward, not only to, to so you don't miss any other cues or opportunities, but at the same time, so you can think clearly about, you know, how do you improve this or the, the, the situation or the error, you know, whatever happened. So I definitely think that that helped me uh, in the sense of that. And then the other thing too, is doing those live events, uh, you know, like we talked about for, for some of these CEOs and, and, and leaders of these organizations. Um, I mean, you know, they're paying for a perfect show. And if you can't provide that, then, you know, there's many other companies out there that, that do the same thing. So you had to make sure if you had an issue or a problem that not to solve it, but to at least or come up with a, an alternative solution or, you know, no matter what it might be. So I think that has, has, has worked well for me here because you face challenges and issues every day. Right. You know, it, it's how you respond to them. It, you know, uh, you, you think about them uh, and then how you move forward with the information that you've, you've gathered or researched. Yeah, uh, so so I, it sounds like working under pressure, working and dealing with pressure and also being able to think on your feet and also to not sweat the small stuff sometimes and keep the bigger picture in mind it seems like very well said yes you said it better than i did doris yep that's that's 100 percent accurate where do you see the business being in say two to three years if you're successful what will it look like yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, we definitely see, you know, the easy lid on, on more and more products as we move forward. Like I said, you know, we're, we're talking and speaking with uh, many companies and, and products. We're actually going to several trade shows uh, this year. So in the next two to three years, we hope we have our, our first line uh, maxed out with those 288 million lids. And we're building our second, third, fourth, and fifth line servicing not only the U.S., but Europe and, and hopefully uh, most of the world. Wow. Big plans. Looking back, what advice might you give 
And I think you've, you've done a little of this already, but advice you might give to other entrepreneurs who are starting out based on the things that you've learned along the way. One, I would say, uh, is definitely do your research. I, I've said research probably a thousand times, I think, during this interview, uh, but, but I think it's very valuable. You know, it, it helps it helps answer some of those questions that, that might be always popping up in your mind, like, am I doing the right thing or should we go this direction or that direction? And when you look at you know, the results of your product, that will help you, I think, um, uh, help decide on some of those decisions that you need to make. Uh, and also, I, I'd like to say that whatever industry or whatever your product is, look for groups and associations that are affiliated with that industry. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Being on, on jars, uh, you know, we, we go to, you know, let's say it's the, the pickle packers association or it's the, the New York state food processing association. You're not only going to learn uh, about the industry, but you're going to make great contacts. And when you make great contacts, that could lead to more contacts and more uh, uh, information that you can gain, or, or maybe uh, funding that you need, or maybe it's a, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I think that's a valuable tool. Yeah, uh, opportunities that you didn't know about or hadn't thought of. Yep, correct. For us, whether it's the Aluminum Association to the Recycling Association, I mean, you know, you can take a step back and there's a lot of groups that could potentially help you and your product get you to where you want to be. Yeah. And especially a product like yours, where it's not like you, you know, you put up an e-commerce site and are selling this product direct to consumers, right? Mm -hmm. You have a very complicated set of customers, many of whom have some influence on the buying decision. So for you, I'm sure networking and tapping into all those resources is really helpful. Last question for you before I let you go. How can people reach you if they're interested in learning more about the EasyLit? Maybe they are in the food and beverage industry, or maybe they are thinking about doing something somewhat similar. What's the best way for people to learn more and to reach you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, well, first, uh, uh, people can go on our website. That's easylid.com. It's E-E-A-S-Y-L-I-D.com. That's easy with two E's. Or uh, if, you, if, if someone would like to talk about uh, our product or, or anything, uh, you can call uh, our office phone number. Uh, that's 937 387 9244, or you can email me at brandon.bach, that's B-R-A-N-D-O-N dot Bach, B-A-C-H, at cctclosures.com, and closures is C-L-O-S-U-R-E-S. Great. Brandon, thanks so much for being on the show this week. It was a delight to learn more about the food and beverage industry and a very cool and very helpful new product. So thanks for being with me. Well, well thank you so much, Doris, for, for having, uh, having me on and letting me uh, speak uh, about the Easy Lid and its benefits. And, and hopefully uh, maybe I helped uh, inspire uh, another entrepreneur out there. 
Well, and folks will have to be looking at their jars in the coming months and weeks and and years. And uh, who knows, you just may find a product that has the easy lid on it someday soon. So you can find more helpful information and resources on my consulting website, globalocityservices.com. There's a library there of blogs, tools, podcasts, and other free resources for entrepreneurs. And over time, I have a now a new radio show dedicated website where I'll be moving content there. Uh, that is at the savvyentrepreneur.org. So check it out soon. Now, be sure be, because the show is for for you, my listeners, my door is always open. I welcome your comments, your questions, your suggestions, or if you just want to shoot the breeze, email me at dnagel at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. Uh, you'll always get a response back from me. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.